Welcome to the Abbot Loop Community Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. This series has been something that I've wanted to sow in for some time, and I do believe this is really the right season. You know, God operates in seasons, doesn't he? So there's always a right season for stuff to kind of happen in our life. Probably right before um, Christmas and Thanksgiving and Halloween and all these things we just do for fun. Uh, drive ourselves crazy for fun. Um, you know, coming up, this is probably a really good opportunity for you and I to think about rest. Rest. Uh, who's the author of rest? God, yeah. God made rest. Who made you? God. This is going to be really easy, like, answers here. Okay, you're right. All right. Who made the world? God. Okay, yeah. All right. He made you. He made the world. And he made you with limits. He made you where you actually have to rest or die. You have two options, rest or die. Okay, I choose life, right? You, you You get to lead yourself well or crush yourself. Like really, this is really the options. And Rest is a thing that um, I had to learn the hard way in my life. I used to think I didn't need rest because apparently my brain hadn't grown in all the way. And I learned that lesson really well that if you don't rest, you actually become clinical. My wife remembers when I kind of went crazy because I was just working and going to school and trying to do everything and I was sleeping less than three hours a night for over a year and a half. Sometimes I go three, four days not sleeping. I, could, I literally would fall asleep standing up, studying. One time I woke up by hitting my chin on the countertop because I was in the kitchen trying to study, and I fell asleep standing up and reading. You know you're tired when you fall asleep standing up while reading. <laughs> That's no joke. That's how I woke up all on the ground. I'm like, what happened? Felt like Mike Tyson gave me an uppercut. It was really Jesus saying, go to bed. I made you to sleep. No sleep. You can't beat it. It's going to happen to you or you're going to die. You're like, pastor, most encouraging message I've heard in years. All right. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to dive in to... This, this whole concept, we're going to do two weeks, unless God gives me another message. But right now, it's two messages about rest. He makes me lie down. That's today. He makes me lie down. Next week is, he prepared a table for me. All right, it's going to be fun. So he makes me lie down. So Psalms, one of the most powerful and famous passages in the Bible for thousands of years now. Psalms 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil My cup overflows. 
Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we're asking for your love, for your presence to fall on us right now, God. We want to be different today. We want to experience your presence. We want to experience your love. We want to have a change of heart, mind. We want to learn and become more in alignment with who you designed and shaped and made us to be, God. We want to learn rest as you have created it. You shaped it, God. You made us for it, and you made us in it, God. So I just pray you just give us revelation today. Holy Spirit, we give you way to speak today, to minister to us. Fill us up. We pray that we would all be changed and filled up today as we come and go in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I walk, I'm led, I lie down, but he makes. He makes. Psalms 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. You and I have to know the good shepherd. We have to know him. This is step one into understanding rest, is we have to know the good shepherd. Who is he? Now listen, I used to uh, work a lot of manual labor jobs, and you guys hear me tell stories about them and stuff. It's kind of fun. I still like manual labor. It's where I actually clear my mind. It's where I sort of reset and stay grounded. It's part of like who I am, right? So I like, and people talk about this when they come to spend time with me in pastoral ministry development. They say, we're going to dig holes because we literally are going to go dig a real hole in the ground with shovels, dirts, and excavator. Like, it's what do I like to do? That's part of my training philosophy. Dig a hole. It's true. But a lot of it is because it's, uh, it's connected to who I believe God made me to be and how he, he made us to be. He made us to be people who are grounded and who work, Right? But when I used to work a lot of these manual labor jobs, I was broke, okay? I had a broken mind. And I thought I had to do certain things that were actually unhealthy for me and my family. And I would overwork. I would do things like I would go in and I would clock in in the morning, in the, in the morning at work. And then I would come up to lunch and I would clock out and go back to work. Work my lunch break, go back, clock back in and go keep working. Clock out, work an extra hour, go home. My wife, she found out I was doing that. She's so mad at me. <laughs> Why in the world would I do something like that? Why would I do something like that? Because I was broke. There was something in my mind that wasn't right. Something in my driver was driving me that wasn't healthy. I was thinking I had to be something I didn't have to be. And you know what it really was? <clears throat> Is I thought it would please my boss. There's more than one season in my life I do weird things like that. But I've had bad bosses that loved that and praised that and said, oh, that was good. And they would promote, I got promoted because of doing stuff like that. And then I had other bosses who were actually good bosses. And you know what they did? They would rebuke me for that kind of behavior. And my wife would be like, hey, man. <laughs> I said, exactly right. You shouldn't be working when you're not getting paid. You got to take a break, son. Come home and see me. Look at my face. It's weird when she talks that way. You'll hear her say that way sometime. It's weird. <laughs> she doesn't talk like that. I'm sorry, babe. It's just a joke. <laughs> the boss would lean in to me and say, no, no, no. You take a break. You shut off. You sit down. You rest. 
And there's two, main, there's two really important reasons because studies are out. If you go and you keep working and you, while you're tired, you're going to have an accident. As in, in the, especially in these manual labor jobs where they're dangerous. And I was in the oil field stuff where it's heavy and hard and dangerous. And it's like, man, you take a break. And you take a break when you're supposed to. Your mind is clearer. You eat. You re-energize. Otherwise, you just grind your way down. And towards the end of the day is when everybody starts slip, trip, fall, accidents, all kinds of stuff. Oh, I forgot to put my personal protective equipment on. Mental error. My hand is in a spot where it shouldn't be. Oh, it's gone. No fingers. Okay. <laughs> right? So they're looking out at the big picture part of me and their company and their organization and going, you having rest actually causes the whole thing to win. You not taking a break hurts us all. And I had good bosses that were like, man, they would get on me and be like, fine, I'll take a break. And it's in there like, "Mm, I need something to do. But then I learned something. God is a good shepherd. Because there was something broke, not only how I saw my boss, but how I saw my father in heaven. Is I thought my father in heaven was this taskmaster, that he wouldn't be proud of me if I didn't work every single waking morning or day, every hour of the day, just work my tail off all the time. I actually thought he wouldn't be proud of me. I saw him wrong, but it says here, he is the good shepherd. And in him, I lack nothing. See, if I learn to believe that, if I, that becomes part of my understanding, and now I know, okay, he's actually my good shepherd, and in him, I lack nothing? Wait. That means that I don't need, I'm not going to get what I need from my job. What I think I need in myself will never come from me working more hours. It'll never come from me getting a bigger paycheck. It'll never come from me getting a bigger promotion and people looking at me. He, that's not what I need. What I need is him. In him I lack nothing. In my job I lack all kinds of stuff. In my ministry, my ministry will never fulfill the significance that I, have, that I need and I desire and that God has made me for. It'll never come from my ministry. It'll never come from my family. It'll never come from my children. It's not going to come from those places. The only place that I'm going to find what I really need, where I have lack, and it's going to fill in, is in my good shepherd. In him, I lack nothing. Nowhere else. There's nowhere else you and I can go where it is going to fill us up where we will lack nothing. It's only in him. See, when we change what we believe, it shifts how we behave, changes how our habits are formulated, our character, which shapes our destiny. Your destiny is in him is in the good shepherd. It's not a destination, a place you get to, a thing of significance. Oh, I finally was that pastor who pastored X number of people, or I finally was that person who had this business that, you know, had this scope of impact. No, that is not your destiny. It is not a place you get to. Your destiny is who you are in Christ. That's in heaven. You're seated with him in heavenly places. You're seated with him in heavenly places right now. And your destiny has already actually been fulfilled. The only thing that you are is in process to your destiny, which is you becoming more like Jesus. You becoming more in the image of the risen Christ. That is your destiny. And the more you are being shaped into his image, you're fulfilling your destiny. And you're going to have that expression pouring out of your life in every season of your life. But he has to be your good shepherd. He has to be 
the shepherd, where you lean in to lack nothing. And look at what it says. He says in verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still water. See, in the care of the good shepherd, I lack nothing. Then when I move from there, I understand he makes me lie down. Look at that. He makes me lie down. This word, actually, it's a phrase that comes from one word that means to make lie down or cause to rest. See that? Rabas, rabas. 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 He makes. So we have a dog, and I have children. You guys know that. I make my dog go lay down. I make him go lay down. Why? I make my kids go lay down. Why? Go lay down, boy. Usually I say it to him nicer than that. It's time for your nap. Moms, come on, moms. You're parenting young toddlers. Why do you put your toddler in a nap at noon? <laughs> There's two main reasons. You need a rest. Second, if you do not, you have learned the hard way. Your cute little precious angel of a toddler turns into a manifest demon from hell in your home. If you do not put them in a nap, their sin nature begins to manifest. Why? They're just tired. What? They need rest. This is so simple, right? God made them to need naps. And when they get to nap, guess what? You get a break. Win-win. Maybe God needs us to take a nap every once in a while so he can take a break. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> jokes, I jokes, I jokes, Lord, I jokes. So we're, we have, we lose sight of this. As we grow older, somehow we think, oh, the rules change now. Oh, yeah, the rules have changed because I'm an adult. And adults don't need rest anymore. Until we get to be older again, and we're like, those nap things sound really good to me again. <laughs> yeah. You're like finding a place to find a nap. You're like, nap time. It's interesting how we can behave like toddlers in the beginning and end of our life. Yeah, in some ways. It's not, let's not unpack that. Don't unpack that. <laughs> but this is the thing. He makes me lie down. He causes me to rest. Why? You put your toddler to nap for their own good, really. That's the reason you put them down. Because they need that rest to rejuvenate and reset and to keep growing. If you want to grow, you have to rest. The key to your toddler growing and being healthy is about rest. The right nutrition, the right activity, and the right rest. You need all three pieces. As adults, we think, oh, we just need to work hard and grind, and we got to keep feeding ourselves and keep working and working and grinding, and then we forget about rest. And in our day and age, we've done something that's even more wild, is now we filled in all of our rest time with mental micro-gymnastics. 
Just little Facebook information. Little this, little that, little news, little this, little that. We never even set. I mean, have you guys even set your phone down and walk away from it and leave it there? And then you're like, oh, I'm just going to go spend a couple hours with my phone somewhere else. You're all like, that makes me feel anxiety right now. Some people sleep, their phone is on. If it pings, they're like, bing, 2 a.m. Oh, i got to respond to that. The critical, critical timing, they won't feel like I love them if I don't say something at 2 a.m. Right in the middle of your REM sleep that God made you to have, you're texting and Facebooking, posting. I see your posts. I know when they're posted. They're date stamped. I see them. Shepherding you right now. I got my eyes on you. Turn your phones off at night. Go to bed. Stay in bed. But he makes you lie down because it's for your good, but you have to let him. Let him make you lie down for your good. And that is that you understand who he is. He wants you to rest. Henry Cloud is really powerful um, uh, writer, teacher, doctor, uh, like psychologist in the Christian world. And he's done some study on high-performing people. And there are some, there are some connections with high-performing people. There's some common denominators. You know what high-performing people do? One of the things they do really consistently is they are all in, full on, like this guy, full on. So when they train, they go full on, just all out, nonstop, boom. They don't do average kind of lollygag workouts. That's low-performance stuff. They go all in, and they train their bodies, and they work as hard as they possibly can, and then they're all out. Okay? All out. Just take a nap. They're going to rest. They're going to get comfortable. And in fact, some of the highest performing athletes, they make sure they sleep 10 hours a day. Did you know that? 10 hours. And it's a discipline. Nutrition, exercise, rest. All right? We're not just talking about your physical body today. We're going to talk about your soul today, too, because they are both connected. They operate the same way. They both, your physical body and your soul, need nutrition, different types of nutrition, but they both need nutrition. They both need to be exercised. They need to be used. They need to be worked. You got to work your mind. You got to work your body, right? And you got to rest them both. You can't just rest your body and keep working your mind. You got to check out. You got to get rested in the right times when it's rested. Okay, so there's also common denominators for low-performing people. Who wants to be a low-performer? Thank God. Trick question. Low performers. Nobody wants to be a low performer. Low performers do this. <laughs> Full on, never off. <laughs> All night long. <laughs> That's terrifying. I do not do that, by the way. <laughs> I, I do not live like this. I love to shut off. Boom, when I'm off, I am off. Then we got some other kind of low performers. They're always on, but never really off. So like steady on, and they work, and they're pretty, they might cheat, but then they, they kind of like, this is the way they turn off, sort of halvesies. And then boom, wake back up, oh, I'm back on the mouth, because I got to make the most of all the time I have. What if some of the time you have in rest is important and makes you better? And then we have these kind of guys, maybe I never stepped down, a little low-grade effort here. 
He's got a more creative way of taking his naps. Still never off. <laughs> For some reason, this guy looked a little bit more like a low performer than the gal. She looked like she was a high performer, but just never would really turn off. But could sleep. This guy, I don't even know how he's doing that. And we also have always off. No want to be this guy. All these guys have something in common, don't they? They don't turn off. These guys don't turn off. Well, that guy, he just turns, he never turns on. Sorry, I just thought it was funny. There are guys like that, people like that. <laughs> Homer Simpson's of the world. But the primary common denominator here with performance is about not turning off. It's not about how hard you work. Shutting off, turning off, is a radically important key to learning how to perform well. Because here's what happens. If you never turn off, you're on this slow, gradual, or more aggressive, depending on how hard you work, descent of, in, like, of running out of energy, running out of your life, all of a sudden, it, you just run out of every piece of energy you can, and you crash and burn. If you never turn off, you are destined for burnout. If you burn out, you break trust. You're leading people. You burn out, you break trust. Burnout is not necessary in any form of leadership. It is a discipline to stay rested. That's on you. That's on me. That's not on anybody else. Nobody in the world is making me stay up at night and look at my phone or work extra hours. Nobody's doing that. There's nobody twisting my heart. The God in heaven is saying, he's trying he's try to tell me, go to bed. He's telling me to go to bed. I'm like, no, no, no. It's okay, Lord. I can do this. He makes me lie down. He causes me to rest. But I cause myself to overwork. I cause myself to overreach. Overreaching is number one reason all organizations and people collapse, even great people. They overreach. They think they can do more than they really can. And it all falls apart. But I want to be a high-performing person. So you and I, if we want to do that, we have to value all the components that cause people to perform well. We taught this series last couple weeks on uh, wisdom. It was talking about this power of the slight edge that we all the time have this regular disciplines of performing and doing the right things and good things well. And you do this over long periods of time. You don't have to overreach to get there. You need to be consistent doing the right things and perform and work hard and go all in really hard and then know how to shut it all off and turn off and get totally rested on the other side as a regular discipline in your life. So I want to ask you this. Why can't you turn it off? You need to go inside. Think about it right now. Why do you have a hard time turning off what's going on inside? See, mine was, I used to be so afraid that I wouldn't measure up. I wouldn't be enough. And I would fail. Fear of failure. Anybody feel like they can't rest because they think that they might fail? Yeah. Sometimes people think, oh, somebody might catch up to me. And I need to be in front, because if I'm not in front and I'm not the biggest, the best, ahead of everybody, then I'm not, okay, I don't have significance. So now again, we find our significance not in the good shepherd, but in our efforts and what we're trying to achieve, our achievements. 
We're just always trying to stay ahead. Sometimes we're trying to stay ahead of the chaos. Because if we just keep running and going and we don't rest, we don't have to think about the pain and the hurts and the wounds and all of the hard things in our life that are coming like a freight train for us to process. Just keep moving. Just keep swimming. And you won't have to see it or face it. Guess what? You're going to get tired and it's going to catch you. God will make you rest. He says, it's time to lie down. But that can be a hard put down or you can put yourself down. Sometimes we think my daddy will be mad at me or he won't be proud of me. Proud of me if I don't overwork or overreach or overachieve and I ever turn off. Sometimes we're striving toward an idol in our life. Something we think God said we had to do. Or we get this idea from a prophetic word. Or we get an idea that we think uh, you know, of ourselves that it's this thing that we saw in someone else and we go, oh, that's what real success looks like. And so we draw a picture around that thing in our mind's eye, even maybe in our journal, and now we think that thing is the thing we have to go achieve by X time or date, or we are no longer a success. We're not significant. And then we're working towards this idol, this dream, that we think God gave us. Maybe he did or he didn't. And even if he did, who leads you? If you lead you, then you're leading after an idol. Just come on. If you lead you, you're leading yourself after an idol. But if he leads you, it'll happen in his perfect time to his perfect destination. Because he leads you by still waters. He guides you, not you, not me. We get off track when we start to lead ourselves, guys. We want the good shepherd to be our leader. See, David wrote this, and David's this amazing story of this amazing guy who he saw, you know, these incredible trials. He, he, he experienced these incredible victories. And he, he really established the entire nation of Israel as a might and a power. God used him to do that. But he found out how to succeed in all those seasons of his life, the high valleys, the worst of sins, the biggest successes, conquering Goliath and the cave running from Saul. His life was just a roller coaster of emotion and external experiences that he didn't even have control of some of them. But you know what he was? He was this young boy who learned how to tend his, his father's sheep. And he tended those sheep and he led them to still water, to quiet waters where it was safe. He led them to good food and he made sure that they got the food they needed. He was a good shepherd. And when bad things came around, he attacked the bear, he attacked the lion, he defended the sheep. He cared for them. He fed them things that they couldn't feed themselves. He led them to places where they weren't capable of leading them. He could see the big picture. He understood how to be a shepherd. So when he writes this in Psalm 23, I, that God leads me in this way, this is how he lived his life because it was how it was formed. And, it, and, and, and the macro sense of his whole story is just like that season of his life tending those sheep. And it's exactly what he's talking about here in this psalm. Is that God led him. No matter what was going on, he didn't have his own dream, his own idol, his own thing. He's like, God, your way, what you have, what you want, that's what I'm leading towards. That's what I want to experience, not my own thing. See, there's, a, there's, there's something that happens is we begin to load our soul, all right? 
And, and David's trying to attack, he's trying to, he's trying to teach people this thing. I really believe this, and he lived it, is that we load our soul with burdens. Burdens of this thing I have to go accomplish. Burdens of who I need to measure up to be. Burdens of our, my family, my finances, uh, my job, my ministry, whatever it is. We load our soul, and that becomes a weight, and it pulls on us, and it draws from us. It needs something from us. And we go in and we work in those things and we work hard to try to be successful at all those things. But if that load becomes my idol, my place of significance, it will take everything from me. Because it's not designed to give to me. It's designed to take from me. But if I make God my good shepherd, if I make Him my source, if he's now my idol, my one thing, my high place, if I lean in him and now I trust in him, he actually can give me everything I need and in him I will lack nothing. And Jesus said, put your burdens on me because my burdens are light. And cast your cares, like you give me all those burdens and you take on my burden, which is me. Jesus is your load. That's your load. Not all this other stuff. Jesus is your load. He's got to become that. And we have to cast all these other cares and all these other things and all these worries onto him. Even who you're going to become. Even what you think he wants to do through your life. That's his business, not yours. And if you get significance from your load, you are headed for burnout. Your identity is rooted in the wrong place. It's only in what Galatians says, my heart cries out, Abba, Father, every day. God, I need you. Daddy, God, I trust in you. Your yoke is easy. Your yoke is light. That's what I want. Jesus, you are my load. So what happens? What happens when we actually stop and we lie down? When we obey God and we really stop and lie down, what happens in our life? We start to process, don't we? We start to think. Henry Nowen is a, an author, a teacher, kind of a ministry guy whom I do not recommend you read a bunch of stuff from him. Why I'm quoting him, I don't know. Okay. He teaches some really good stuff, but then he teaches weird stuff about prayer, so don't listen to that. Okay. So he does teach this really good stuff about retreating and silence and solitude and this whole philosophy about that in our world we just keep taking in more and more and more information and it keeps flooding our heart and our mind and it's just processing all the time and what happens is we get all filled up we're so full that we're no longer hungry or thirsty for anything because we're all the way full with information it fills us up if you always eat mcdonald's and all kinds of other just junk food and stuff and you're eating all the time it doesn't even matter what you're eating. Just eat all kinds of stuff, just anything, this average food or whatever. You're not going to ever be hungry. You'll always be full. And if you're always full, you'll never be, and you'll never be thirsty or hungry. But if you stop eating, guess what? You get hungry. And when you and I stop feeding ourselves information all the time, just bombarding us and our minds are so full we can't even really process and think and we allow that to just empty out and we process it all out with the Lord and then we're left and there's still more time left over and then we go, God, I'm actually thirsty and hungry again. My mind and my soul is thirsty and hungry again 
and, and I want something. What do I want? I want good food, and I want it from you. See, he leads me by still waters, by good pastures, places to eat. But if I never take the time to let my soul cleanse and then to find out where he wants to lead me into these good spaces, I'll never eat it because I'll never be hungry. Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, verse 13, 14, he said, listen, you can drink of this average regular water over and over and you'll thirst over and over again. Or you can drink from me and you'll never thirst again. You can drink from living water and you'll never thirst again. She's like, give me some of this good living water stuff. I want some of that. If you and I learn to get ourselves thirsty and hungry, clear out the mess, and then press into the living water, we draw from the living water, listen, we're not going to thirst anymore. We're not going to hunger for the things of the world and the wrong things. You want clarity in your life? Get a cleanse. Get a soul cleanse. Some time away. Turn off everything. Turn off your cell phone. Turn off your television. No contact. Two, three days. Shut it all off. Nothing but you. Take your Bible. Leave it closed. They're like, he just told me not to read my Bible. I'm telling you, don't read your Bible. You go on a silence and solitude retreat, you do nothing but think about all the thoughts you have and then take them one by one to Jesus. God, I give that to you. I give that load to you. I give this load to you. So you got nothing else to think about. You're bitter. God, I forgive this person. I forgive that person. I forgive this person because God will bring all that sin stuff up to your heart too in your silence time. Then when you're done with that, you begin to pray and say, God, what do you have for me? I want to hear your voice. You let him speak to you. After he's done speaking to you, then pick up your Bible. Just try it. See what happens. God will fill you up. He'll give you vision and direction for your life. That is where you'll really find rest. Because guess what? Jesus is rest. Jesus is rest. Abraham was promised rest. He said, you're going to have a time of rest. God promised him. Then in the time of Joshua, Moses and Joshua going into the promised land, they called the promised land like the place of rest where they'd be able to rest from their enemies. But in Hebrews it says that is not really the place of rest. The place of rest was not a physical place. Otherwise they would have obtained it. No, he spoke of another place of rest. David spoke of a place of rest, which is in Jesus because Jesus is rest. He is the promise. In him is the promised land. And it's in you being able to rest from all the burdens and worries of this life and this world to try to achieve salvation. It's purchased by his blood in him. The fullness of your life is in the good shepherd. Jesus is rest. Jesus is your only load. Come on, you and I, given all those loads just to him. He's your place of rest. If we place our rest in the wrong spaces, we're going to get lost. I want you to see this is the key. The key to finding rest is just right in this passage of the Bible. And let's read it one more time. And let's see if we catch on. A Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. 
Even though I walk through the dark valley or the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. So just think about this for a second. He, he, he. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He makes me. Not you. He makes me. He refreshes. He leads. He guides. He is with me. He prepares. He anoints. His goodness and love follow me. What's my job? My job is to dwell in the house of the Lord. He does all the work and the heavy lifting. My job is to dwell. My job is to be there, to be in Him. And, 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 and let Him do the work. So dwell. We need to dwell. We gotta dwell in the place of the Lord. We gotta let our heart, our soul, just unburden, unpack, and we gotta give these things to Him and let Him become that center place, that, 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 that focal point for us. So where are you at in your walk with Jesus right now? What's going on inside of you? Are you unpacking and you're just so overloaded and overburdened that you can't process what's really going on in your life? It's time to take Jesus and put him in the right place and then take some space and start giving it over to him. God wants you to work full on. He wants you to be all in. He doesn't want you to be all out. And if you took your life and you mismanaged your ministry life in the church and you overworked and you harmed yourself because of that, and now you're like, well, I'm all out. I'm never going back and working in a church again. Listen, pastoral rebuke time, it's coming. Gird up your loins. That's on you. That's not on anybody else. If you're mad at leaders and some other person or whatever, listen, that's not on them. They might have sinned and they might have did stuff, but the fact that you're ineffective in the kingdom right now is on you, not them. If you're bitter, that's on you. God says forgive. If, 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 if you're burned out, that's on you because you didn't rest. God wants you to rest. He said, rest, I'm trying to make you lie down and you keep working and now you're mad at everybody because of it. You chose that. Not <laughs> gonna stop passing the buck. You will not succeed if you don't take responsibility for your life. I won't succeed. I take responsibility for me and all the times I mess up and when I mistreat myself, you've gotta do the same thing. You're you for a reason. Because you chose. And guess what, you have a choice to choose now. To make a shift. No shame, no condemnation. Take responsibility, make a shift. It's time to move on. God wants you to be full on and fully out. Check out when you need to check out. Say no when you need to say no. But it doesn't mean you never say yes. God wants you to say yes. He wants you to lean in. Part of rest is working hard. You gotta have something to be tired of. Yeah. Serious athletes are tired for a reason. They sleep 10 hours for a reason because they worked hard. It's this beautiful tension between the two things, but our identity is always in the right place, just pleasing God. You're not trying to please me. 
Do you have to please other leaders around here? You might have some other ministry that's not right in the local church like what they're doing, but if you're doing it, that means you're part of the local church, serving the church, you're building the kingdom. You don't have to serve in here to do that. Everywhere's the church. It's where you take yourself. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.